Romans chapter 10 this morning. Uh, we have a huge day coming up next Sunday. It's our old-fashioned Roundup Sunday. We're going to have a cowboy breakfast on the grounds. We are going to have special singing that day. Uh, it's gonna, we're going to host a car show out here. I was out uh, passing out flyers for it yesterday, and I handed some to some folks, and I worked my way around and uh, placed some flyers on some more doors, and I came back by those people, and they said, what time's the car show? I said, well, it's going to be from about 8 when we have the cowboy breakfast to church, and we'll be able to look at the cars. They said, we got one right over there. I said, well, you just bring it down. So if you have an old car you'd like to bring down, just call the church office, let us know, and we will uh, uh, we'll block off a spot for you. You're more than welcome to have that, and uh, we look forward to having that. Uh, we're, so it's going to be a great day. Next Saturday, we're actually going to be out passing out some more flyers. We've got about 2,000 that we got to get out, and so uh, we got to get the word out somehow. Amen. So uh, that's when we plan to do it. Uh, I do want to take a moment this morning and say this. I am thankful that you are a part of our church. And maybe we don't, as a leadership team, say this enough, but without you, we don't have a church. And so every single person this morning has a choice on where you could have attended. Man, in our area, there are churches on every block. I was looking the other day, and a church in Godly is advertising in Burleson. That's, that's how much competition there is. But you have chosen to worship with us. And we're thankful for that. Whether you've been a member here for 28 years or whether you're a visitor for the very first time, we're thankful you're here this morning and you mean the world to us. So I want to help you in the Word of God this morning. Romans chapter 10. We're going to read just a few verses, very, very familiar verses, and I hope to be a help and a blessing to you. We won't be long. The Bible says in verse number 1 of Romans chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire... And prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. I want to draw your attention now to verse number 9. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Let's have a word of prayer this morning and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the book of Romans. It gives us a, an outline, a, an instruction guide to understanding the plan of salvation as you have it for us. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help me be very clear and very concise, very direct and to the point. Lord, I pray that everyone here would clearly understand what the Bible is trying to say to them this morning. Lord, I do believe this is a message you've given me, and so, Father, I pray that you use me, even though, Father, I know I'm not worthy. Lord, please use me as an instrument, and, Lord, please, may the message of God be conveyed through the Spirit of God. 
that the word of God might quickly speak to the hearts of men. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, in my life, I have been able to take a few trips that I was very excited about. One particular trip was my senior year. After my senior year, it was the summer, and we were getting to go to Hawaii. And our family had planned, we had saved up, not cash, but miles. And if any of y'all have airline miles or credit card miles, y'all know how that is. You save up for seven years so that they can tell you that none of them work. And so we have been saving up. Man, we were excited. At that time, I played golf religiously, man. We, me and Dad, that was what we did together. And we had literally a tea time every single day we were in Hawaii at a different course. And we were just ecstatic about this because what else is there to do in Hawaii? There's no beaches or anything, so we play golf. And so we were very, very excited about this trip. But a trip that large takes a lot of preparations, especially when you're dealing with airline miles. We, put our, uh, we bought our plane tickets through airline miles. We bought uh, our, our condo through airline miles. We did all of it through airline miles. So my mom, being the get-to-it person that she is, she put her nose to the grindstone, and she got our room and our airline miles well in advance. Leading up to that trip, you know, the girls are packing their bags. Mom and Mandy, they're getting their bags ready. Me and Dad are... Shining our golf clubs, obviously. And, and, and we were all getting ready for this trip. Now, it's one of those deals where you have to leave very, very early in the morning. It's one of those 4 o'clock flights so that you can fly all day long and arrive in Hawaii at 5 a.m. so you can sleep the entire first day of your trip. And so we, we did that. And we got to the airport at 4 a.m. And we go under at Dallas-Fort Worth. If you're familiar with it, you have the departures lane, which is the underground lane, and so you give them your bags and you go upstairs. Well, we were giving them our bags, and if you're familiar with travel at all, adults have to have a photo ID. And my dad handed his photo ID and his plane ticket, and they knew what airline we were going with and what uh, uh, plane we were going to be on, so they put the bags on accordingly. And they looked at my mom and said, well, do you have your photo identification? And she said, honey, I think I forgot it at home. And we really stood there in shock that the one thing with all the many, many hours and the many, many uh, moments of preparation for this trip the one thing that was going to keep my mom here was one small photo. Because just be honest, we were going to Hawaii. <laughs> we were getting on that plane. And if we had an extra seat to stretch out in, that's the way it worked out. But mom was maybe not going, but we were going. And it was this time of panic. And now my mom does really well preparing but man, when, when everything went down, she started panicking. Oh, I'm not going to get to go Hawaii. Because really, she was the only person that really wanted to go in the first place. We were all excited, but mom was so excited. And so mom was panicking. And so we called our right-hand lady and right-hand man. We said, Mary, <laughs> Mary's Orange, we need you to go down to the house 
We need you to break into our house. We need you to get mom's photo identification, drive all the way up to Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. We need you to find us. And all this has to be done in about 30 minutes. <laughs> 12 minutes later, Miss Minnie. <laughs> No, no, no. It was literally Miss Mary went, she rushed down, she got the photo ID, came back, and thankfully it all worked out because honestly we would not have a family if this had not worked out. But it all worked out. But wouldn't it have been a shame if one small detail kept my mom from going to, on such a wonderful trip? You know another trip I'm very excited about in my life is the trip to heaven. And whether it comes by me going the way of death, or whether it comes by, and this is the way I hope to see it, because I want to be a part of this, seeing my Savior split the sky open and calling His church uh, to heaven to be with Him. I, I'm excited about heaven. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about heaven. And I had a professor in college that said this, I believe the reason the Bible doesn't say that much about heaven is because we'd kill ourselves trying to get there if we knew more about it. That's how amazing heaven is going to be. Did you know the Bible says that the streets are gold? But not only are they gold, the streets are uh, 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 gold as transparent glass, meaning the concrete that they use in heaven is the finest quality of gold known to man. It's perfectly pure. Did you know that the Bible teaches us that there are gates of pearl? And the reason we say gates of pearl and not gates of pearls is that the gates, although would be very, very large, they are hewn out of one pearl, each gate. So our gates that we walk through, just the ornaments that decorate heaven, are something that earth is not even familiar with at all. Giant pearls. But see, that's not even the main attraction in heaven. The main attraction is the one who's going to be the center of it all. The one who will have the nail prints in his hand. The one who the angels will be uh, flying around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the center of attention. That's the main attraction. And I just got to be honest with you, I don't want to miss it. But what a shame for it would be if you did. This morning, I want to ask you three questions, a checklist, if you will, to make sure that when that day comes, you're going to be walking through the gate with me. First of all, I want to ask you this. What is your faith on? What is your faith on? You see, in this world, there's a lot of people putting a lot of faith in a lot of things that just aren't going to work. There's different religions, there's different gods, there's people that trust in sun, there's people that trust in this earth as if the mother earth could do something for them. But at the end of the day, they all fall flat. Some people trust themselves. Look in verse number three. The apostle Paul is writing and his heart is breaking for the nation of Israel. He says in verse number 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Now, we understand what he's saying, don't we? 
We understand that they are not trying to live a life according to grace. They're trying to do it according to the law. The law was given to give us direction and point us to a Savior, point us for our need for a Savior. But we as human beings, and at best human beings, could never keep the law. And Paul says what Israel's trying to do is trying to be better than they can be. For when it comes to the law, we all fall short of being able to keep it. I just wonder, though, if this mindset has not creeped into America. Maybe not in our garments. Maybe not in trying to stay resting on the Sabbath day. But I mean, has church attendance become your way to heaven? If so, man, I'd hate to see the small crowd going to heaven. (laughs) But what I mean is, there is this idea that being a good individual, whether doing religious acts or charitable acts, has some merit with God. But the Bible teaches what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful uh, flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, Christ came so that you did not have to do what you could never, ever do. Christ lived perfectly so that the righteousness of Christ could be imputed unto us. See, this morning I am far from a perfect man, but when the Heavenly Father looks at me, He looks at me through the righteousness of of Jesus Christ. Well, we could never earn any type of entrance into heaven by performing or doing anything. People trust in themselves, and this is a terrible thing to trust in. Not only do people trust in themselves, people trust in others. People trust in others. And what I mean by this is this happened to me this week. News got back to me that someone got saved. And just like a moment ago on the platform here, Dad told me we had some folks saved at the Spanish ministry last night. And my heart rejoiced. And I said, Amen. What a great thing. What great news that is to hear. Just the same, my heart rejoiced when I heard this last week that someone got saved. Then word got back to me that that individual's parent was I want to be careful, was almost disappointed because they remembered when that child did it at six years old. Be very careful that you are not the one giving your children or giving those around you their testimony. You know, I had the opportunity to read my Bible through last year. I was excited to do that. I read it cover to cover, and not one single time did I ever find a time when someone was confused as to when they met the Savior. Did you know that you have hundreds of car accidents every day? Say, what do you mean? Every day, you have hundreds of car collisions. Now, they're not with motorcycles and they're not with automobiles, but every single day, Mr. Monarch Butterfly decides to cross the road at the exact same time you do. And what takes place is your Ford pickup or your uh, Oldsmobile or whatever you drive It literally collides with another thing. And your car hits that insect, but very rarely do we notice the impact of it. 
In fact, I've never noticed the impact of it other than when it gets in my way and all I see is on my windshield. I hope that's not the way we view the impact that Christ is going to have in our life. Because I've had an accident with a motorcycle and I knew it immediately. I've had an accident with a larger vehicle and I knew it immediately. Thank the Lord I've never had an accident with a tractor trailer, but I think you would know it immediately. But for some reason we think that when someone meets the Savior, they might be confused as to the timing of it. I just think that when someone meets Christ, they leaping up stand. That's what the Bible says. It tells of people who are crippled from the mother's womb and they meet the Savior. And from that very moment, they leap up and start shouting because they know they've met the Savior. Luke chapter 8, the maniac of Gadara, he falls before the Savior and says, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God most high, what, what have thou to do with me? He knew immediately who he was talking to. And that day when he was sitting clothed and in the right mind, uh, in his right mind at the feet of Jesus, there was no confusion as to who he had met or the testimony of that day. So be very careful that your testimony was not given to you. That your mama didn't tell you about when you knelt down by the bed beside her and you can't even vaguely remember it. If you have met Christ, you'll know. There will be no confusion. Not only do people trust others, a person must trust Him. Jesus claims it this way, there is salvation in none other. He says, I am the way the truth, and the life. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You see, Jesus is the only way. If He was not the only way, God would not have had to send Him. There was no plan B because plan A was too painful. Plan A is Jesus Christ, and I beg you and I plead with you, if there is any doubt in your mind, if there is any concern as to whether that day when we're standing at the gates of pearl, you wonder if you're going to be there. My friend, get it settled today because Jesus died for you, and Jesus loves you, and all you have to do is place your trust in Him. He is the only way. What is your faith on? Secondly, this morning, I want to ask you this question. Where is your faith originating? I want to draw your attention to verse number 10. I believe there are two different places where your faith can be focused from. The Bible tells us where it ought to come from in verse number 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. I, I want to tell you where I think the first way people, the place uh, where people's faith is focused from. First of all, I think people focus their faith from their mind. You see, our mind is where we collect knowledge. It's where we store experiences. It is literally a, a glorified computer, if you will. 
We store experiences, and as people pour into us, we take those things, and our experiences are always limited, and we uh, know what we have been taught. Our mind is nothing more than a place to keep knowledge. But did you know this? Knowledge has never saved anyone. You see, in the Bible, there's a few examples of this. James chapter 2, verse 19 says this. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You see, even the devils know of God, but they don't trust in Him. There's a knowledge of God. King Nebuchadnezzar was the man who threw the three Hebrew children into the fiery furnace. He's the man who said those words, and the image of the fourth is like the Son of God. That was his words. He that day saw a glorious miracle. He saw a pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. He saw a great thing that day. Even going on, Daniel came to King Nebuchadnezzar and interpreted his dream. And out of Nebuchadnezzar's own mouth, he said, Your God is a God, big G-O-D, of God's little G-O-D. And he is a Lord of kings. Meaning, Nebuchadnezzar at one point recognized God's amazing power. But he never recognized him as Lord and Savior. Knowledge has never saved. See, you can know the old, old story, but unless you trust the old, old story, it has no impact. Nebuchadnezzar, what a sad day. King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, we all know the story. Paul pours his heart out to King Agrippa. He even at one point plainly shares the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul pours his heart out and says, King Agrippa, I know that thou believest. King Agrippa's words, almost thou persuadest me. See, he had been brought into full recognition of the story of the gospel. But it takes more than knowing the story. It takes trusting the story. There's a head knowledge, but there is a focus from the heart. See, that's what chapter, uh, verse number 10 is telling us. For with the heart, man believeth. I hope that your salvation experience was based from your heart and not your mind. See, the gospel has never made sense, and it will never make sense to our mind. I looked up some things that don't make sense in this world, and there's a lot of things that don't make sense in this world, but one of them is pizza. Square box, round pie, triangular slices. Why do you press harder on the buttons of the remote as the battery is dying? Why do we call it a pair of pants when you only get one? Why do people say heads up when what they really mean is duck? Why is it that when I transport something by car, it's called a shipment? 
But when I transport something by ship, it's called cargo. These are funny. I don't know what they're doing. I laughed at these. Why is the man who invests all your money called a broker? There we go. <laughs> they got that one. Why do fat chance and slim chance mean the exact same thing? Why do people recite at a play and play at a recital? See, these things just don't make sense. This one is probably my favorite. Why do they sterilize needles used for lethal injections? I like that one. And finally, why do we sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game when we're already there? See, in this world of ours, there is a lot of things that just don't make sense. But you know, the gospel will never make sense to our mind. Because it makes no sense how God, being as high and holy as he is, would not only... And pity is a bad word, but he had so much compassion. It wasn't pity, it was his love for us that caused him to send Christ. Why would God then leave all that glory uh, has to offer, and we're dying to get there, and he came here to die? Why would he leave heaven to come to earth for a bunch of people who choose to fail him on their own volition all the time? Then why would he submit himself under the hand of sinful men like me to persecute him and to mock him and to scourge him, even though all he, their, their heart was drawing power from him to survive? Why would he then die on the cross for me? It doesn't make sense. The Bible tells us why. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You see, our mind will never understand the gospel. That is why our mind cannot help us be saved. Because it doesn't make sense why God would do what he has done. But with our heart, we can have faith in Him. That's why in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, our faith is what saves us not our knowledge. You can know this book cover to cover. You can have every verse memorized, so does Satan. Knowledge has and never will be enough to save you, but faith can. So is your salvation experience one that's built on head knowledge or heart knowledge? Because I believe that the distance that will keep most Christians out of heaven is 12 inches. From their head to their heart. And I say Christians intentionally because I believe there's a lot of Christians who know God, but they don't know Him. 
So, finally, we're right on time. I want to ask you one last question, a checkpoint, if you will. If you know all these things, the final thing is, is your faith operating? See, what we think a lot of times is the Bible gives us verses like, by their fruit ye shall know them for our own uh, recognition of false prophets. And that's true. But I believe it is a valid litmus test for us to understand the validity of our own salvation. You see, it makes no sense for someone who's been impacted by Christ not to then begin to behave like Him and be like Him. It makes no sense. That's why the Bible says this. For whomsoever... uh, I'm sorry. uh, The Bible says, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. You see... Good trees don't bring forth thorns and thistles. They bring forth fruit. So let me ask you a question. Do you have an active faith? Are you an active Christian? Are you someone who brings forth good fruit? James chapter 2 verse 17 puts it like this. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, if you are familiar with James chapter 2 at all, you know there are times when it almost seems like James is teaching a works salvation. Almost. Because nowhere in the Bible does it teach a works salvation, but all throughout the Bible it teaches clearly a salvation that works. You're saved, so you behave like Christ. You're saved, so you obey Christ. But you don't obey Christ to be saved. James says, I look at a man, and as I look at him, his works tell me whether or not he's saved. He was never saying that we're justified by works. He was saying, in my own eyes, the man across the room, when he does right, I can tell the fruit of his salvation. Do you have an act of faith? You see, is everybody else around you questioning your salvation? And it's not up to me to judge your salvation, nor is it up to your neighbor to judge your salvation. But at the end of the day, do they question your salvation because of the way you behave? You have an active salvation. Finally, I want to point out to you in verse number 11, one way that you can know for sure is if you have an ashamed faith. Verse number 11, the Bible says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You know what's unique about this is Jesus says words almost exactly like this. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9 verse 26, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words... Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come into his own glory. And his fathers and of the holy angels. In other words, if we are ashamed of Christ, he will not recognize us before the Father. So let me ask you. When the water cooler talk is going on, when you're in the presence of your peers, how often does Christ come up? 
How often do people recognize the fact that you're not ashamed of your Savior? And almost to the point of uncomfortable uh, behavior, you bring him up all the time. Man, you remember when uh, all the sports channels gave, gave Tim Tebow such a hard time for talking about the Savior all the time? Every time he was on an interview, he'd say, Well, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he would go on to talk about football. People gave him such a hard time. That's the way it ought to be. We ought to be almost to the point of annoying others with the fact that we're not ashamed of our Savior because of what He's done for us. He has done so much for us. He was not ashamed of us when He came to this earth. He came and He bled and He died for me. So why would I be ashamed to tell the old, old story? Now yesterday there was a monumental football game played. I did not know we had so many Alabama fans in our congregation, <laughs> but they, they seem to be here this morning. Yesterday, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Alabama is a tremendous football program. Nobody would argue that. In fact, Nick Saban said one of the most profound quotes that I've ever heard last night when I was watching him. Uh, I'll try to remember in it here. He said, the most important things our effort, discipline to, uh, discipline to perform, and, or discipline to execute, and uh, hustle, or uh, I can't remember. And then he said, and none of those involve ability. I love that. You know why? Because I coach a basketball team that maybe doesn't have the most ability, but it gives me hope that they can have hustle. I'm just kidding. My guys are pretty good. I like them. I'll, I'll keep them on my side every day of the week. But Nick Saban's team's a good team. They didn't have a great game last week. They won, I think, 13-12, to 12, uh, and so they barely squeaked out a win. He was almost angry that the media was, was questioning why they only won by one. He's like, hey, look, we won. <laughs> what does that matter? But yesterday they played Texas A&M University. Texas A&M is actually a really good football team this year. Brother John doesn't know about that. But they beat a really good team last week, uh, TCU. Uh, no, TCU beat Baylor, or Baylor beat TCU. They've actually, uh, Texas A&M has actually beat some quality teams this year. They're a good team. But yesterday was probably the most embarrassing football game I've ever seen in my life. Amen. Alabama beat Texas A&M. 59 to 0. <laughs> Basketball? It sounds like it. Now, I played a lot of football video games in my life. And even for a video game, that is ridiculous. 59 to 0. What makes this worse is the first possession. Uh, Alabama had to kick a field goal. So they started out 3-0. Every possession after that, they scored a touchdown. They never punted the ball. They never stopped them for a field goal. Every single time Alabama touched the ball, they scored a touchdown. 59-0. But even with this terrible, terrible defeat, do we have any A&M Aggies in the house? Yep. 
if there has ever been a loss that should cause people to go hide their head in the ground, it's that one. But I knew for a fact Brother John would claim A&M because he loves A&M. That's his school. He's an alumni. He graduated. You graduated, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> Kicked him out, yeah. He loves his school. And it doesn't matter how embarrassing that defeat may be. He loves it. Uh, Duke, a couple years ago, lost to uh, Lehigh in the second round of the NCAA, in the NCAA tournament. And I, the next night, wore my Duke shirt and my Duke shorts to go play basketball. And everybody's giving me a hard time. And I said, look, if I can't wear my colors after a defeat, I have no right to wear them in a victory. If you're ashamed of Christ, you don't know him. Because as we jokingly talk about football programs... Football does not matter in this world. Christ has done so much for you. And not only has he done so much for you, he continues to do stuff for us. I hope you're not ashamed of him. Because as we stand waiting to enter into heaven, I hope that there's no doubt in your mind that this checklist is complete.